You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. I'm Sam Abul Samad. I'm Rebecca Lindland. All right, welcome to episode 103. We've got the cars up first, and so uh, we've got a big truck. Uh, Sam, you're driving the uh, Nissan Titan Pro X. Uh, Pro 4X. Pro, I'm sorry, Pro 4X. Uh, yes. And we've got a tiny car. I've got the 2019 Hyundai Kona Ultimate. And then in between, Rebecca, you've got the 2019 Volvo V60. And you also braved Manhattan in a Ram. And so <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that. And then we'll also talk about um, Lincoln is uh, teasing us with the Corsair. So kind of going the opposite direction of Cadillac with uh, alphanumerics. They're bringing back names. And Edsel names, so that that's great. Um, <laughs> uh, Geely might save smart, and then uh, Europe is um, passing more draconian uh, measures for uh, socialist drivers. <laughs> so they, want, they, they want mandatory driver assistance. But anyway, we'll get back to the cars. Um, you know what? Let's because we talked about the Volvo V60 last week, so let's sort of follow up with it after a week now because you'd only had it like a day, right? Um, how it is it still um uh what do we call it uh lovely is it still lovely it is lovely however i'm i'm continuing to have issues with uh what i realized was really the the calibration i don't like when i put it into dynamic mode specifically it revs really high it fights that it just it's not a pleasant experience. I did it again today. I went on the highway with it today and I put it into dynamic mode and I just don't enjoy it. And then I realized that even in comfort mode, I don't know, it, it's just, it's just not for me. I think, which, which is disappointing because I love the vehicle and I described it. I was telling my sister about it today and I described it. I said, it's like, it's like when you meet somebody and they're they're beautiful, they're kind, they're loving, they're, you know, they're kind of all these things that you want somebody to be. And they have this awful voice 
that you have to try and <laughs> that you have to try and overlook. You know, you, you want to compensate for it because you like everything else about them. <laughs> but that's a pretty critical feature. <laughs> that's how I feel about this Volvo V60 T6. So it's it's kind of a, it's a silent film star. You know, exactly. It's, it's, it's like Rudolph <laughs> Valentino or something. Exactly. It's like as long they, they as have, I... they have great moves on the dance floor. You know, they can they can be incredibly expressive with their face as they're as they're going through these scenes. But as soon as you introduce the talkie, it all falls yeah. apart. It was, exactly. That was like a, a, one of the sort of plot arcs of um, Singing in the Rain, right? Which, anyway. Uh, so so well, the car itself, you just it's just so dynamic mode is a dud, uh, but even comfort mode isn't isn't really what you want, I guess. It's, so it's just it's just not for me. And what's so interesting is that um, uh, um, back back in the summertime, I had the XC40, the the small crossover, which is adorable. I love it. I, again, I love the looks of it. But after a week, I was like, okay, here you go. You can have that back. Thank you very much. It just huh. and so I don't know if again it's it's just the way that the engine is calibrates it's the, it's the way that it moves through the gears, I I just I don't like the really the the high revving the RPM the RPM settings just it's just not for me and and again it's it's just incredibly disappointing because I do think it's such a beautiful vehicle I love driving around in a wagon I feel like such a little rebel in it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So part of it might be that it is a press car. And so it's been abused by everybody who's going to drive it. Um, you know, some of the adaptive uh, transmissions and stuff, they learn, but I, they tend to learn pretty quick too. So mm. I, I don't know if it's, if it's that like, so if even in comfort mode, it's not sort of as smooth as you would yeah. like. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's only got 3000 miles on it. Yeah, because so, I, I found that the, the S60 I had really grew on me after a week. So I'm, and the XC40 was just charming from the get-go. So and maybe maybe it's just, you know, it's one of those it's not you, it's me situations. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. That's how I, that's – honestly, that's exactly how I feel. It's like it's, it's not you. This is just me. And as I was driving around today really thinking about it, really concentrating and focusing on how I interacted with this vehicle – I just, I, I want to love it. I really do. And I just don't, <laughs> but it's, but it's not, it's, it, it is totally me. I, I can't even say I could never tell somebody, you know, I don't think you'll be happy with it. Cause I think somebody else will be thrilled with it. Um, it's, you know, and, and there's so many things to love about the vehicle, uh, that, you know, and, and even, I was even paying attention again to the, um, uh, what's the technology system called? Census. The, the census. census. Yes, yeah. thank you. And I have no problems with that whatsoever. I mean, I, I found everything I needed to find. I was able to adjust whatever I needed. I, the, the radio. Oh, that's the, so interesting. I know, right? Because <laughs> Sam will attest, I just, I have endlessly bitched about that system. <laughs> As have I. And it's so funny because I I have, I, I, I always tell people, if you need technology broken, I am your girl. I can break it for you. And 
yet this is just something that was completely intuitive to me. Maybe it's my Norwegian blood coming out, <laughs> but um, it's completely, completely intuitive to me, which is so funny because I know other people don't like it. Um, but yeah, so again, I just, you know, I think it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful vehicle. I really liked the census system and uh, didn't have any problem there's a you know I like the the blind spot monitoring I played around a lot with the lane keep assist even that was not annoying uh you know it's it's a comfortable comfortable vehicle it looks great and um I really just it's just the calibration that I just I'm just not comfortable with okay I mean I, I think that's fair yeah Per- perfectly legitimate opinion, um, you know, and as you said, you know, I mean, there's there are other people who would probably like it. Um, you know, I'll be curious to see, you know, when when, you know, when we've had a chance to try it, you know, how how we feel about it. You know, because I mean, we, we often do have differing opinions on stuff. Um, and I'll be curious to see if it's something that was unique to the car you were driving mm. or. Or if there, you know, who knows? I mean, there might be a transmission issue with that one, or who knows what's going on? Yeah, or the, th- the lead sneakers. Yeah, <laughs> and again, I think, I think it's because um, I was again, I was thinking about that, and because I kind of because I didn't fall in love with the XC40 either, like I expected to. I, I, and I want to. <laughs> I do. I do think it's. It maybe just is me. I think it's just me. And oh. and that's uh, you know that's why we have um, a choice. I mean, it, it's yeah, so now. That's why, some, that's why there's hundreds of different ve- hundreds of different uh, vehicles available on the market. So right. you can find the right one for your you know that that suits you better. As long right. as you don't want a sedan or a hatchback or a wagon with a stick shift or something. Right. <laughs> yeah, but something crazy like that. I mean, it'll. So now, what I, I'm curious is if every Volvo is going to sort of do the same thing. It's going to be really nice, you know, nice to look at, lovely design, but it will fall short in terms of driving impressions just because they're consistent. I, I know, I know. I'm I'm very very curious to see um, getting into another one, and and I'm going to check and see what's in the fleet. Because I do want to see. Have you driven the XC60? I have not. I'll tell you, I, I have not driven the XC60. Uh, years ago, I drove the C30 and I loved that thing. I mean, it was just the craziest, most fun little car. And then my sister has has the XC90, which is wonderful. So, you know, I'm going to check and see what else is in the um, what else is in the fleet here, and see what I can get into. And I could be posted. Yeah, because I've driven the the XC60 um, in addition and the XC40, and you know, I I quite liked both of those. I didn't encounter any issues with the the powertrain behavior in either of those. Um, so I'll be curious to see, you know, if that's if you know maybe it's just something about driving in Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> uh, driving Connecticut is terrible. It's one of the reasons I left. It's awful. It's like it's just a it's a speed bump in between Boston and Manhattan. Hey, um. it is not. I like my little state. It's it's, it's, it's good pizza in New Haven. And it's, no, there's excellent pizza down here. You guys have to come down. Uh, 
that that will be fine. My ten year old has decided that um, every new city we visit, um, we have to try pizza. Yes, and I'm fine with that, but just sometimes it's like not the right time. It's like no, no, we just ate dinner. We're not stopping for a pizza. So I'll I'll tell you. Um, speaking of road trips, uh, on Sunday I'm driving down to Washington D.C. in a Buick Regal GS to go to the Elite Eight. Game. That should be a good time. Yeah. I know. I know. So I'm looking forward to that. So I'll report back on that next week. And the, the game should be good, too. I mean, provided Duke wins. <sighs> uh, well, you know, I think you're going to have people, an equal level, amount of people that are happy if they win and happy if they lose. So e- either way, it's kind of like the Yankees. Yeah, kind of. Right. Well, everybody loves I want the, I just want them to win on Friday night so that I can go because I can't go Friday night. So I just need them to win Friday night so that I can go see Zion Williamson play on Sunday. All right. Well, good luck. We'll, Thank you. We'll, um, yes. So send maybe, positive maybe, thoughts. Right. Maybe Buick can just arrange it that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure PR would help out. Somebody in PR uh, would help. <laughs> so, do, you know, speaking of that 95 quarter, do you want to regale us just briefly with – uh, what it's like to have a, a ram and, and this was a heavy duty ram right in, in Manhattan? yes so i went to uh they had it they had a jeep gladiator showing we weren't allowed to drive it and then we had the ram uh the heavy duty ram pickup truck and that was tons of fun it was it was Literally. shocking <laughs> it, really I, I, tons Zip. many tons exactly many many tons so we were on the uh, we were right near the Jacob Javits Center in in the city, and it was just the traffic was unbelievable. And you know, having grown up near the city, I got to tell you, I think that the traffic is just worse than it's ever been. So we couldn't get you know up to speed or anything. But one of the reasons I wanted to mention it is because I was really there were a couple of things that really impressed me. First of all, even in the city. This truck just drove so well. I mean, it drove like I didn't feel like I had this behemoth in Manhattan. And then we were in we we got stuck on one block for five. I think it was five light cycles. So it was somewhere around 15 minutes just trying to they actually called because um I had Jim Morrison, the head of the Ram brand, <laughs> in the truck with me. And we've known each other a long time. And I think they feared that we had, like, run away to go do fun things together. <laughs> and so, so they finally, we were like, no, no, no. And I told him, I said, you better call them because they're going to wonder what I did with you. And sure enough, he was like, oh, yeah, look, they're looking for me. I'm like, I'm not surprised. <laughs> and so, but the truck itself was just... Um, it was easy to handle, you know, it, it took the turns really well. It, it, we were able to use while we were sitting there, uh, we wanted to kind of look around and see, like, we were able to try all the features out in terms of the, of the towing and the trailer hitch and such, you know, like like spying on people on the sidewalks while we sat there. (laughs) (laughs) But it really, um, I just, I wanted to mention it because I just thought that it was, just surprisingly good to drive in in the city very easy to get in and out of terrific features you know the interior is well deserved of many awards that it's won and now that they have 
the new tailgate uh, where they you can actually get in and out. It's actually a split tailgate, which is unique to the marketplace. Um, I just I really I really enjoy this truck. I had the 1500 uh, right around Christmas time. And likewise, I loved driving it in the city. I drive, I mean, I drove it around in Greenwich. You know, I would take it to Soul Cycle in the morning and think, am I going to be able to find a parking place? But I always did. And I always felt like I did because it was just, it was, it, it was just like driving a bigger vehicle, but not this behemoth. Well, and I mean, you just, if you can't find a spot, you make one. Exactly. You just move things just, out of the way. Yeah. You just, you know, pull, pull right in wherever you want, you know. Yeah, but I, I do think that that's really Ram's distinction right now among trucks and and the heavy duties too. They've they haven't separated the idea that the the work truck is also um, a luxury truck, and part of that is because they make a ton of profit. But also, I think that's what people are people are buying. You know, it's it's just like the new personal luxury kind of. It, it is. Well, and, you know, like one of the things they, they talked about was the fact that, you know, somebody that's going to haul a two or three hundred thousand uh, dollar camper behind that or, you know, have five hundred thousand dollar horses are going to want something that is comfortable, luxurious. You know, they're, they're not pinching pennies. And so they want a good value. Obviously, that's how they're wealthy is they use their money wisely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the 1%ers want to be, want to be comfortable. I say while they enjoy their passive income, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> they do, but you know, they make a valid point to say, look, we're going to doll this up. I mean, those things are, you know, 90, I think 95, oh, between ninety five and one hundred and five thousand dollars, which is insane for a pickup truck, until you realize, you know, you put a little bit more context into it. In that, what is this thing hauling? And it, you know, it's hauling, you know, expensive toys. Yeah, you know, and the the story that we often hear, you know, from the marketing people, you know, the marketing managers for these these big trucks, is that you know you'll get somebody that owns a business that will buy a whole fleet of these. A whole fleet of trucks, you know, for their business, you know, you know, whether it's a contractor or, you know, a plumbing business or, you know, whatever it might be, um, you know, and, and then they will buy, you know, they'll buy the regular ones, the work truck versions for the crews to drive around, you know, to do their sure. work. And then, you know, they buy a premium one, you know, as their, you know, as the boss will buy a premium one or more likely lease a premium one as, as their personal vehicle, you know, right. to, to use to, you know, to, drive around, you know, and haul, as you say, haul the horses and haul the, haul the big, uh, you know, 20 foot, you know, 25 foot Airstream trailers and things like that. Right. So, you know, it was just, um, I think that, you know, pickup trucks have come a long way, obviously. And, and one of the things that I think it's always important to remember, as I've mentioned before, is that domestically oriented buyer, that person that when they win the lottery, they don't go buy a Mercedes. They buy the most tricked out F-150 they can buy. And, you you know, that's what I think that they're catering to. I think they're catering to that that type of consumer. And their money is often even more green than anybody else's. So I think it's appropriate. Yeah. Well, I mean, given what those things cost, you almost have to win the lottery now to, to buy a tricked out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're, not, they're not cheap. <laughs> they are not. It's amazing. Um, but they're selling like crazy. Yeah. Oh well, let's let's deal with the big truck theme, Sam. Okay. 
Um, so how was the Titan Pro 4X thing? Yeah, so uh, j- I just sent back uh, a 2019 uh, Nissan Titan this this morning, um, and uh, you know it's it's a really good truck. You know, it is so vastly superior to the last generation Titan, and you know I've, I've driven them a couple of times before. I've driven um, driven the the XD which has the five liter Cummins diesel V8 in it. And this time I had one with the, um, the, the Nissan 5.6 liter gasoline V8, which, uh, you know, has 390 horsepower and 394 foot pounds of torque. You know, I mean, this is, this is a big hefty truck, but you know, that engine's got more than enough grunt to, you know, to do whatever, you know, it, it does not, feel like it's lacking in power at all i really like and, that engine i want it in the uh 350z or 370z that's, that's yeah. just me that, yeah that would be that would be nice right be I'm, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't fit it, but, you I, know. anything fits when you've, you've got enough creativity it'll fit yeah well, it's a big <laughs> wide engine you know with the twin twin cams and everything it definitely won't um, fit stock i'm sure yeah but the so you know so this one you know is the the pro 4x uh crew cab uh, which is you know the the more off road oriented version you know so this is not you know competitor you know this is not trying to challenge you know trucks like the Raptor but rather um, you know things like you know an F one fifty FX four or you know a Silverado Z seventy one package that that sort of thing so you you know it sits a little taller it's got more off road oriented tires but uh, even with that you know uh, you know it still has you know quite a you know, fairly luxurious interior, you know, probably not quite up to, you know, the standards of, you know, the $100,000 truck that, uh, that Rebecca was driving. But, you know, I would say that after Ram, you know, Nissan right now is probably got the nicest interiors on their trucks mm-hmm. on, on the Titan. Um, you know, this one had, you know, leather coverings on the, the, um, the dashboard and on the seats and everything. You know, it was really nicely equipped, you know, heated and cooled seats, uh, plenty of room inside. And um, the, the, the current generation Titan also has really good driving dynamics. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd say it's not not quite up to the par of the Ram 1500. And I was interested, you know, what you were saying, Rebecca, about the, um, the, the ride quality of the heavy duty, because, you know, for... For the for Ram, you know, on the the fifteen hundred they have um, uh, coil spring rear suspension, but on the heavy duties they they keep the uh, the leaf springs. Well, and the, the so the twenty five hundred has the coils and the and airbags. Yeah. Are you? Okay. And and the uh, the thirty five hundred has leaves. Ah, okay. I thought I thought they all had leaf springs. Um, all right, so that would that would explain why it does so well. But even even with leaf springs, the Titan you know is actually surprisingly um, nimble and you know and it has you know does a good job of soaking up the road. You know, I'd say it's not quite up to the standard of the Ram, but it's pretty close. You know, and I, I'd say it's definitely superior to the GM or Ford pickups and miles ahead of uh, the the Tundra, which Oof. you know is pretty ancient at this point. Um, yeah, the tundra was literally like frozen in time. Yeah, <laughs> as that, the permafrost melts, that truck just never changes. I could, right. I could not wait for them to come and pick up that truck when I had it in in the fall. Oh, I the just, tundra? Yes. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I've never I've never been particularly impressed with the tundra. You know, the, any of the times that I've driven it, 
Um, you know, and I've, I've driven it a couple of different times now during its life cycle, you know, early on back in about 2009 or 10. And then, you know, about a year and a half ago, I had one as well. Um, and, you know, it, it's definitely not competitive in the class. I mean, it wasn't particularly competitive in the class when it was new and it's, it's definitely not competitive today. Um, Nissan does include some interesting stuff, you know, some interesting features on this truck. You know, they don't have, um, you know, like the, the step bumper that GM has on theirs or the, uh, you know, the, the step that comes out of the top of the tailgate that, uh, that Ford has on their trucks. But they do have a, a retractable step under the rear corner of the bumper, you know, so you can just step on it and, and push it down. And, you know, that gives you better, easier access to get in and out of the bed. And then in the bed, uh, they've got this um, tie-down system, uh, you know, that has movable cleats. You know, so there's some rails in there and, and movable cleats, so you can move you can move them around, you know, and use it to tie down different whatever whatever it is you can fit in there. You know, get the get every keep everything nice and secure, so it's not sliding around. Um, you know, so there, there's a lot of nice features in this thing. It's really well equipped. Um, you know, and this one is, is, you know, a relative bargain at only 54,300. Uh, so <laughs> man, trucks are expensive. Ah, tell me about it. I mean, you know, the, the, you know, the Titan, you know, like most of the others, you know, starts, you know, down in the $30,000 range, uh, but you can definitely option them up with, with lots of stuff, you know? So, I mean, if you're looking for just a work truck, uh, you know, then, you know, they have something to, to suit that kind of budget and, you know, you know, reasonably equipped for that kind of application, uh, including um, just a standard cab version that they launched last year. But uh, you know, this one this one is definitely a, you know more of a, a personal use truck than a work work truck. Mm. So the thing with the Titan is, I tend to forget it exists. <laughs> I, I feel like that's its its problem. And it, it, the last time I drove one, I was impressed with it too. The same same as you, Sam. It, it actually, I was impressed it had steering feel. <laughs> yeah. Know? Like, but I, I just don't. I, I don't know for whatever reason it's not not terribly on my radar. And it, it is a good truck, especially in the second generation. I liked the first generation Titan too, but um, yeah, the first the first generation was okay. It wasn't wasn't great, but. This the second generation one is is much better and you know it's it, it's quite a bit it's a fair bit larger than the previous one was and it kind of straddles the line between um, you know the the traditional domestic light duty trucks you know the fifteen hundreds uh, and the twenty five hundreds you know especially as as you get into the diesel XD you know that one's kind of uh, you know, at the the bottom end, towards the bottom end of the range of the, you know the twenty five hundred series trucks, the the three quarter ton trucks, uh, and then uh, you know kind of you know in the top you know the middle to the top end of the the half ton trucks uh, that you know like the F one fifty and the 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 base the regular Silverado and Sierra and Ram, uh, you know so it's a little bigger and heavier. Uh, it doesn't quite match up, you know, in terms of its payload capability. You know, if you're, you know, if what you need is is maximum payload capability, it's this is probably not the best choice. It's it's not quite up to up to snuff with the Ram, uh, Silverado, or F one hundred and fifty. But uh, you know, it's close enough that I think for for most people it will be fine. And like I said, it, it definitely has a, a nicer interior than. Uh, than either the Ford or GM trucks, 
and you know really good driving dynamics and ride quality. Yeah, I was impressed with its interior. Um, and it, I'm sure fuel economy wise, it's not impressive though. I'm sure it's, it's spilling gas at a prodigious rate. Uh, yeah, you could say that it's, it's EPA rated at uh, 15 city, 20 highway, 17 miles, uh, combined. Um, and you know, I don't think I quite made it up to, I think I was averaging about probably about, uh, 15 because I was mostly driving around the city during the time that I had it. Yeah. And, and the, and the the other thing is because it's it's fairly tall, especially in the Pro 4X version, um, you know a lot of parking garages. It's going to mm. be very tight. Uh, we, we my wife and I went out to dinner on Saturday night, and uh, in downtown Ann Arbor, and pulled into the parking garage. You know that had a six foot six inch clearance, and <laughs> the the antenna was scraping, but the the roof did not, but just barely. Hey, what kind of audio system was in that? Do you, did you play around with it? Is it was it the oh, Fender? Yeah, uh, yes, it did have the Fender audio system, and it's quite good. It sounds sounds quite good, you know, especially for a truck. But yeah, it, it, it's a it's a good audio system. Wait, Fender is now in Nissan's. That's new. Uh, yeah, they they launched with the Titan, with the new Titan. Yeah, I was when I was at CES. Um, a good friend of mine works for. Uh, Panasonic and and I have a couple of friends actually, and he told me to make sure to go over and check it out. And so I got a demo when I was at CES in the Titan, it, and it was it was terrific. It was a lot of fun. I mean, it, it had a nice good bass and just good thumping, and uh, you know, just I all I wanted to do was drive around and play some Southern Fried Rock. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that the Fender system is made by Panasonic. That's interesting. They make um, yeah. They make the the um, ELS surround systems yeah. in the Acuras too, which are phenomenal. Yes, so. yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, and and this thing you know is also quite capable off road. Back in uh, summer of 2017, uh, Nissan did a drive program out in California, out in uh, Carmel, and we got a chance to do some off roading with this thing. <clears throat> and you know it, you know, obviously limited, you know, by its size, you know, in terms of the kind of trails you can go down. You're not, you're not going to be following, you know, tricked out wranglers down there, but uh, it, it can go over pretty much anything, you know, anything reasonable. Huh. Well, I guess it's not that much of a surprise. I mean, uh, put the right tires on it and it, it should do all right. It's all wheel or four wheel drive system. Is it just have like an auto mode too? Or uh, yeah, so there's uh, there's a two range four wheel drive. So you got four high and four low um, locking diff um, on the rear axle. So it's you know it, it can handle you know pretty much anything you throw at it within reason. Well, that's good. The forgotten Nissan uh, gets its day in the sun. That's yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I went small this week um, after they came and took the the Edge ST, which I have to say, after spending a week with it, I really think that the the folks who did the Edge interior, at least for the ST, they should make sure that they take a look over at the F-Series interior and do what they can do with that. Because <laughs> <laughs> the, the Edge interior is a lot nicer. It had, you know, real metal trim and the materials look better it just presented a lot nicer and i realize i'm talking about sort of the, the high-end edge so um you know and the ex- the more expensive f-series do have nicer interiors but i, I don't know i i thought it was actually a, a lot nicer looking and feeling than the truck but maybe it's been a while since it's been in the truck so maybe that's not the case but i, I was impressed with that i was impressed with 
um, the the family friendliness of the edge. You know, they've they've been really thoughtful about. Um, it even had a cubby for the for my phone, and not a lot of cars do that, uh, or not not enough cars do that. Mm. So uh, they're they're starting to do that more, especially as they uh, incorporate uh, wireless charging. Yeah. And uh, for phones into a lot of new vehicles. And so they're they're usually providing a little slot somewhere that you can just stick the phone into, you know, where it's not going to move around too much and, and stay on the charging pad. Yeah, because that's the thing, right? People are going to bring their stuff into the car and you can either um, force them to be inconvenienced or you can just design the car to accommodate it. <laughs> they're going to have was it one, one or another. Yeah, there was one of the things I noticed in the RAV4 that I had last week that did have a really nice, easily accessible charging pad. And the, the Volvo V60 doesn't have one at all. There's really no place to put your phone. They expect you to tuck it away. Um, yeah, and I, I think that that's actually, if you were to talk to Volvo, they would say, yes, that's by sure. design. You're supposed to and like put, cl- clamp absolutely. it into put it, put it Put it in the center console and, yeah, or the glove exactly. box or something. Right, yeah, but absolutely. so... And that's two different approaches. You know, that's accepting that people are going to be people or that they must bend to your will. And I, <laughs> I, I can appreciate the idea and the thoughtfulness that goes into that. This is the way we do it and here's why approach. But I think people are going to be people. <laughs> and if, Whether if we you like them or not. <laughs> yeah, if you frustrate them with your, your, your setup, they're just going to pick up the phone. Right. Because they know how to get what they want with the phone. So, uh, but yes, anyway, we're here to talk about the Kona. Um, so it's the 2019 Hyundai Kona Ultimate, which the last time I had a Kona, um, it was during a, a trip I took out to the Pacific Northwest and I managed to get two flats with it. So this time I have four good tires. Uh, <laughs> and I, I just really, really like the Kona uh, a lot. It drives really well. It's really, really cool looking. Uh, it's nicely put together. Um, it's not that expensive, although this one, because it's the ultimate, it's uh, $30,000, which I was a little surprised that it was that high. But it has everything, even the um, – It is the ultimate. Yeah, <laughs> c- correct. It's not the penultimate. It's the ultimate. Uh, it's got the um, the 1.6-liter turbo engine, which is – really really strong like that engine feels like it's larger than it is so i i like that a lot it, it has a, a dual clutch transmission that is i feel better in some situations than the dsg which i think it's better in most situations than a dsg does it, yeah i mean I, i'd say i'd say hyundai's uh dual clutch is probably the best transmission of that type in the industry right now. Yeah. I'm, Cause I'm not a fan of uh dual clutch or, or automated manual. I call them automated manuals, but like the, the Ford power shift, which isn't, that's a single clutch, but uh, I just don't like those transmissions because where you want them to be smooth, they're not. And uh, you know, where they are smooth, it kind of like, it doesn't matter, <laughs> you know, but they, they're a little lighter They're you know, They have their other advantages. They're lighter, they're faster, th- those kind of things. But um, this one is really quite, uh, quite buttery in like parking garages or parking lots, low, you know, low speed stuff. It, it does quite well. You notice it just, just a little bit, uh, that it, it's definitely a dual clutch transmission. So I, I like that quite a bit. I, I really like how it goes down the road though. Uh, you know, it, it feels 
really well tuned. The ride and, and handling is is good, and it's not really that complicated of a car, right? It's it's a pretty it's a pretty simple chassis. So they've made it feel pretty pretty disciplined and, and pretty tidy. So it's one of well, my it, does, it does it it does have um uh you know a multi-linked rear suspension you know so it's it's independent all around it's not using a twist beam or anything i thought it had a beam axle no it's a, it's a multi-link setup which is you know it's it's quite good yeah i i it really um it's very well tuned the steering is nicely weighted there's not a whole lot of feel but you know that's not why people buy these things it, the the tech is good the i, I think really it's it's just a distinctive little hatch that's easy to drive. The ergonomics are really good. They have the screen that it's in its own little binnacle. It doesn't look quite as tacked on as it does in some other cars, like say a Mazda 3. Um, and the it has some some uh, buttons around the edges that allow you to get what you want pretty quickly. So it it's really just it's easy to get in and operate, and it doesn't frustrate you, and it goes down the road really well, and it's it's – pretty strong um i'm not sure what fuel economy is like because i've i've only driven it today <laughs> <laughs> oh it, do you have the front or the front drive or all-wheel drive no i've got the all-wheel drive okay yeah the all-wheel drive has the the multi-link setup the front drive is uh, torsion beam okay and and like I, I i think i've driven all flavors of it and none of them are bad they're all they're all pretty good um and I was surprised actually too. The the all wheel drive has a um, a locking feature, which that that actually seems uncommon to me. It it is definitely in that segment, you know. And in fact, you know, increasingly, you know, a lot of the you know the the, the subcompact crossovers like that, you know, especially the the low you know the lower cost ones, aren't even offering all wheel drive at all. Like the the Nissan Kicks and the Toyota CHR are front drive only, at least in North America. They don't even bother with an all-wheel drive version. Yeah, um, and that's that's fine. Like, they don't really need it. And honestly, you're not taking this off-road, so the all-wheel drive is there for that extra measure of comfort in inclement weather. So to, to see the locking button, I, I like it because if you do kind of, if you get stuck in a snowbank or something, you, you lock it, it'll, it'll get itself out a little bit easier. Uh, than than just you know torturing the traction control and spinning that one tire, <laughs> frying your brakes. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I mean, it's it's again, it's the Hyundai thing, right? It's just really well equipped. It's not that big in the back seat, but it's not supposed to be. It has a pretty decent cargo capacity for what it is. You know, this this is the it's the it's the subcompact hatchback. I, don't, I mean, I don't care how it presents or whether it's a crossover or not. It's, it's just it's a subcompact hatch, and it it fills that role really, really well. And um, you could live with this every day, even if you were using it as a family vehicle. It's just it's going to be kind of tight if you've got like child seats and stuff that they go, especially like the convertible ones with the bucket and all that. Like you know, there's the little I forget what it's called, the little carrier that snaps in. Like those things, yeah. the back seat's tight for that if you're tall. Um, but the you know the front seat is really quite accommodating. And uh, I the the one that I got the flats in, I had loaded up with a bunch <laughs> of stuff, and that was that was fine. So um, it can carry a lot too. I you know it, it's a uh, it, it's in a segment too. Like everything in that segment is kind of distinctive. You know, like the kicks you were talking about, um, the CHR. 
So they're all trying to to lead with some style. I, I just think that the Kona is maybe the best in that segment for offering you substance together with the style. Like the CHR I really liked, but it has some compromises and mm. it doesn't it it doesn't feel as premium, I suppose. It just it doesn't have the same kind of uh um I don't know what the word is. Uh, uh joie de vivre, say. Uh, <laughs> <I> <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, sure. I had the Kona um back in right before Christmas and I really liked it too. I thought it was just I felt good driving it. It was very expressive without being alienating. And it was just fun to drive. It was one of those yeah. cars that like, that, like, you know, you have this feeling of just comfort. Like, it's just easy to drive. You don't have to think about it. It didn't require a lot of hassle or effort to learn it. It was just, I really just liked it. It was just very, very appealing. It wasn't going to be, you know, the most exciting or most dynamic car you've ever driven in your life but it was definitely just a, a really good solid crossover like hatchback and i yeah. i agree it's a hatchback but it was just a just a good solid car right it's, i don't i don't know how else to express it other than like yeah that's that's a good one yeah exactly it's just <laughs> it's just a good one um i now i haven't driven the ev and so i'm curious about when we get that opportunity um and then there's there's the new Iron Man edition coming out. <laughs> I don't know if it's available yet, but uh, that, that looks like it's kind of fun. Iron well, Man. I, I, I drove the EV a few weeks ago and uh, was really impressed with it. Oh, that's right. Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, you know, it's got one of the longest ranges. It's got the longest range of any, um, you know, lower cost mainstream EV that's available today at 258 miles. As long as people um, aren't obnoxiously not charging. <laughs> Well, yes, but we we did that rant, and, yes. and somebody somebody complained about that on uh, call, on calling Twitter, an, yeah. ear, an ear rape on Twitter. You know, a like, what? Come on, yeah, somebody somebody called it an ear rape. You know, it's like, come on, relax. Yeah. So anyway, uh, um, yeah, no, the 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 you know, so you get you know three quite distinct variants, you know, with the the base two liter. Um, you know, naturally aspirated four cylinder, the 1.6 liter turbo, and the the electric, and you know they all have their their you know their cool characteristics, and you know I think I think they're all really good. Yeah, yeah, and I actually I think probably my favorite engine in the Kona is the two liter, not the turbo. Um, mm. You know, the turbo is great; it has that little extra bit of oomph, but it almost feels like more aggressive than you really need here. Like it's it's unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah. Go, go ahead, ahead, Rebecca. Yeah, well, the Iron Man edition, I just have to note, has has matte paint, so that would be cool to see as well. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but that that stuff is really hard to take care of. I know. What, yeah. wait, what are you supposed but it to looks do? Great, you supposed to wash it or something? I'm... Yeah, you, you hand wash it. You can't you can't take it through a, through a, an automatic car wash. You have to you have to hand wash it. You don't wax it or anything. Huh. You'd so. think that they'd be able to get around that with just like doing a, a wrap or something. Like just paint them base white and just, just wrap them in vinyl, matte vinyl. Well, that, I mean, that that's actually, you know, a lot of the ones that you see, a lot of the stuff that you see on the road that is matte, that's exactly what they do. It's just a vinyl wrap. Um, and, you know, that's a lot cheaper. You know, the, the doing doing a painted matte finish is actually a pretty complex process and it's quite expensive. 
Yeah, I can imagine, especially since paint has been designed to shine for like yeah. <laughs> yeah. centuries. And now, I mean, now we, now we want an eggshell finish on our cars. I mean, that's, yeah. Um, but no, it, the, the Kona, we'll, we'll wrap this up and just say, I think we all, we all continue to endorse the Kona. It's, it's a, yes. a decent entry into that, that space, which is actually really, it's quite an interesting little niche too. I, I like the kicks a lot. I, you know, I, I like the CHR and, and, uh, into the mix as we get to our topics, um, it's maybe a little bigger, but the Lincoln Corsair is coming. Uh, we're going to see a teaser of that. And that is, uh, it, it's a new name for an existing model or, well, it'll be a new model, but an existing it's, Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a replacement for the Lincoln MKC, uh, which came out in 2014. Uh, so it's been out there for, for five years now. And, the, you know, the MKC was uh, based on the Escape, uh, but with, you know, completely different body and interior uh, and uh, different engines as well. And uh, the the Corsair, you know, it's fi- finally ditching the. There's only now with the Corsair. There's now only two MKs left in the Lincoln lineup: the MKZ and the MKT. And the MKT is surely not long for this world. You can still get the MKT. You can you can still buy the MKT. Uh, I think as Isn't long as they keep fleet, building fleet only though the MKT. Um, I thought it was fleet only. Possibly, I I don't know. I'm not sure. Fleet's I mean, the I only think, one who's going to buy them anyway. Yeah, I think fleets are the only ones buying them. Uh, you know, basically yeah, but I thought it was a deliberate for li- for move or, yeah. to make the MK um, when the Navigator came out. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Certainly, I think once the Aviator goes on sale this summer, um, that'll probably be the end of the MKT. I, I, I don't think we'll see the MKT much longer after that. Um, and unfortunately, that means that the Flex will probably also go away. Well, but the, So the MKT and the, the Flex, like those... They're not bad for what they are. They're they're a good fleet vehicle, you know. They they're roomy. And- Although the Flex is great, I, I've always loved the Flex. I, I, you know, I thought it was you know it had a you know, a cool distinctive look, you know. And you know, if you're looking for something you know to haul a family around, I always thought it was a great option. You know, it drives really well. Um, that thing is batshit ugly. I'm sorry. Oh no, no, the MKT is the MKT has a as an uncool. Yeah. No, the flex, word. the flex, the flex. You know, oh, like the, the flex. flex. The flex is awesome. <laughs> Boxy. The flex. The flex is awesome. I love the flex. Well, good. You can have it. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't have a need for a vehicle of that type anymore. I mean, my kids are grown and gone, so you know, I, I don't need something like the flex. Well, now you but, need to go antiquing. And that's you, you have know. excellent taste in dogs. I'm going to give you that, but the flex, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, but yeah, at least on the the Lincoln website, you can still buy the uh, the MKT. Um, but at any rate, who you know for the for the three or four people a month that you know that want them, um, <laughs> you know, it's still it's still out there for now. But the Corsair, um, you know, that's that's going to be all new, and this is. You know, we don't, we won't know for sure until the uh, the New York Auto Show in a few weeks. But the, you know, it's you know presumably based on the same new uh, front wheel drive unibody um, flexible platform uh, that Ford is is going to be introducing. That's going to be under the Escape, um, and you know, like the uh, like the rest of Ford's new utility vehicles, it's going to have electrified powertrain options. So I. W- my guess is that you know it'll be 
similar to what they've done with the Aviator and the Explorer. So, you know, you'll probably have a plug-in hybrid option in the, uh, in the Corsair and perhaps a regular hybrid in the Escape. Um, and that's really about all we know at this point about these things. I, There's some spy photos out there. I have to say, I've got to give Lincoln huge kudos for the way that they are rolling out these name changes. And I think they're just doing a really, really good job of updating the names, replacing them, you know, not not going wholesale, but just doing it one model at a time. And this is a really good lesson on rebranding and and updating your brands that people should make note of and that they're not getting enough credit for. Well, no, I, I agree. In uh, we just ranted last week too about uh, well, the last two weeks now about, about or three or four. Cadillac doing the <laughs> alphanumerics, and right. Lincoln is going in the completely opposite direction because they didn't really do alphanumerics, but they did alphas, and it got again, it got confusing. You know, I, I remember trying to figure out was it you know MK MKZ or MKT or what? Like we would we would get confused and we'd have to go back and correct. Well, us. Lincoln Lincoln probably did it worse than anybody because at least with most of the other companies, you know that you know most of the other premium brands that have done this sort of thing, you know, there's usually some uh, some semblance of logic to it, you know. Where you know as as you go up, you know, as the numbers get bigger, it's usually a larger vehicle. You know, you go, you know, BMW, you go one series, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and, and so on. Each one is progressively larger, you know, and, um, you know, same with even Cadillac, you know, for, for all the issues we have with them, you know, an XT4 is smaller than an XT5, you know, a CT, um, you know, the, C, <laughs> the new CT5 is smaller than the CT6, um, you know, presumably the XT7 when it arrives, if, if it ever, if it arrives, will be larger still than uh, – oh, no, wait. Is it – what's the one? Oh, XT6. <laughs> is the, anyway, is you get my point. Amusing. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Lincoln, Lincoln you know, they, it was just completely random. You know, you had the MKS, you know, which was, you know, their bigger sedan. The midsize sedan was the MKZ. You had, you know, the MKT is this three-row crossover thing. Well, it's, uh, yeah, but the, so – the MKZ was only MKZ because it started as Zephyr. Right. It's, I don't know. So, like, where did the S come from? Did they just pick? Sedan, probably. But the the MKZ was also a sedan. Yeah, so it's definitely confusing. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, it, 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 was, it was stupid. I can only <laughs> imagine the amount of meetings that had to happen for that stuff. To take oh, place. and there were a lot of meetings. You can count on that. <laughs> but they're doing a good job now. <laughs> yes. Yes, they they fixed it. Well, beyond the names the too, the, you know, the cars themselves are are better, uh, even yes. with their older hardware. You know, I remember he was talking about the the uh, Nautilus Black Label, which I, I quite liked, and I thought that was really a, a big step in the right direction. And so to see what they can do with newer hardware is going to be, um, you know, that's that's really going to be telling about how they're they're actually set up for the next I don't know five years. Uh, you know, the platforms are going to last a while and hopefully more than five years. But uh, that's really the hump for Lincoln to get over is they've, they've done a good job of, I think in the last three years going from like death watch to signs of life. And now how do they continue it? And they, I want to see these new platforms 
I want to drive them. I'm glad that they have names because I think the names are distinctive. It's also something to hang your hat on. And I, I mean, Corsair doesn't doesn't really have any resonance for anybody who's not a car geek or who's not older. Like I immediately think of the Edsel, which is maybe not the best place to go. But or or you know someone someone you know who's a fan of World War II uh, fighter planes. Okay, right. Was that was the F four U Corsair, right? The you know, yep, yeah, um, with the with the bent wings. Oh, that's right. And so, uh, if they introduce it in New York, are they going to introduce it in New York? The, yeah. The, okay. So they, Ford. Here's an idea: take everybody from the Javits and walk them up West Side Highway and go to the Intrepid. Because <laughs> the Intrepid is the Intrepid is hey. an Essex class carrier, and Essex class carriers had Corsairs on them, I believe, because the folded wings and they had an elevator that would put them down into the, the hangar, right? Like, I think. Yeah. So well, uh, well, the the, re- the reason the the Corsair pl- fighter had the the bent wings was because it had um, you know they they wanted they designed it with um, really high performance, um, and so they put a huge prop on the thing, and so they they had to bend the wings so that they could clear the you know have clearance for the prop without uh, having to have really long landing gear. I see. It, it, oh, so then maybe that's not what I'm thinking of. What? No, no, no. They, they do the 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 wings fold in half too for for storage. Oh, they they do fold. Yeah, but that's but even even when they were folded out, even when it was flying, that the, the, the Corsair right, still has little, bent wings. Bent. Yeah, yeah, huh. like a gull, like a seagull. Yeah. Uh, to work completely off course now. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I I expect that it's going to be a really interesting reveal in New York, no matter what. Uh, and it's it's a, that's a really important car for Lincoln because it's the right size. Uh, you know, the Nautilus is there with the certain midsize and slightly larger, but the compact luxury crossovers are red hot and yes. Lincoln has a chance. One chance. Well, I would, I would say from my experience with like looking at the aviator, the navigator, I think the interior is probably going to blow us away. And I was not blown away by the Cadillac CTX, uh, C, C, what is the XT4? Thank you. (laughs) Or or the XT6. The the XT4. I remember being very disappointed in that. So I think that Lincoln has, has already has a, a leg up uh, when it comes to the interior. So I'm excited for New York. I think I can't wait to see this. So what was disappointing about the Cadillac? Was it materials or it was it or? was the materials. It was very plasticky. I haven't I haven't driven it yet and spent some time in it, but I just I was really disappointed. Uh, there was a lot of just hard black plastic surfaces in the one that yeah, I that's saw. It's kind of tough when you're selling your expensive luxury vehicle. Yeah, um, I I drove the the XT4 uh, in Seattle last fall, and you know it drives well, but you're right, Rebecca. The the interior is just you know quite underwhelming. And it it doesn't need to be. I mean, that's what's so disappointing is that, you know, I think that that in within General Motors within that design studio, I think that that there are the right materials. I just think that they, I don't know if they just cut at the last minute. It's, you know, they obviously they have to make a profit on these things, but there's just got to be a better way. They've got, I mean, when you think about the infinity interiors, when you think uh, about the Lincoln infinity interiors, interiors are so uh, nice. 
Right? I mean, they're gorgeous. And even the Volvo, you know, it's very classic, very simple. It doesn't have to be over the top. There's got to be a way that General Motors can improve their interiors or just they've got to figure that out. I think that's key to their to to long term success. They really do. Well, I I remember somebody at some point recalling a conversation they had with Bob Lutz about it when he was at Chrysler. And talking about how in the 90s, Chrysler was really well known for their their interiors and just, us, you know, hey, you guys make a really nice interior for the price especially. And one of the things that they did, he was explaining, was, you know, the whole door panel doesn't have to be nice or the top mm. part of it or what you see, what you touch that's got to be nice, but like the bottom part of it can be not quite as good. And it's just some right. of that, some of that cheating. And, you know, I look at, and Ford does it too. You know, you look at the door panels of like a Mustang and it's all vacuum formed plastic or, or just like molded plastic. And you're just like, well, that's gross. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and G- GM does the same thing. It's well, c- cover it up where people are going to see it the most and find your, find your costs to cut elsewhere. But right. Um, right. I don't work in that department, so. <laughs> Sadly, <laughs> none of us do. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I'd do any better than the people that are already there working hard that we continue to just <laughs> complain about. Um, I, yeah, I prefer it's encourage. It's it's what? I prefer to consider that we are encouraging them. Yes, we're encouraging <laughs> them. Providing con- constructive criticism. Right. Constructive criticism. Um, we want them to succeed. Yes. Yeah, and so... The, the Corsair is coming. We've seen the teaser. I, I guess we are all kind of in agreement that it's it's going to be good. At least the interior is going to be good. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. I mean, get, given given the the Lincoln trend over the last couple of years with the Navigator, the Aviator, um, you know, and the Continental, you know, there there's every reason to expect that the interior of this thing is going to be fantastic. Um, you know, from what we've seen of spy photos, you know, in the last month or two, um, you know, this is, you know, from a design perspective, you know, it shares a lot with the aviator, you know, but just scaled down to, you know, more compact dimensions. Um, you know, so I'm, I, I, I have confidence that this thing will be really good. All right. And All right, next, yeah, let's move on, um, to, <laughs> Smart. Geely saving smart. I didn't realize that smart was still kind of a going concern in the. Well, maybe it's not in the U.S., but. uh, Well, Daimler tried to pivot last year, um, you know, and shift smart to all electric. And apparently that's not really having much impact on sales. Uh, So. You know, they, uh, you know, the, in the last couple of days, uh, as we record this, you know, there were some reports coming out that the Daimler board was considering, uh, you know, just ditching smart altogether after this current generation, you know, for the last generation for, for, or for the current generation, when they developed it, um, you know, they decided, you know, in order to try and save money, they partnered up with Renault. And so, um, which is the, just a complete mess right now. <laughs> Isn't it with like uh, the Carlos yeah. Ghosn thing and all that going on? Uh, no, you know Ren- Renault's doing okay, okay. but you know they it sh- they they shared a platform with the uh, the Renault uh, Twingo, the new Renault Twingo and the Smart, um, and you know it it didn't really have seem to have much impact on sales. I think you know just the whole concept of the 
the smart, you know, seems to, you know, have faded away, you know, people, you know, I think the, the first couple generations of the first three generations of smarter first two generations of smart were just so awful in so many ways that, you know, people <laughs> just decided yeah, that's enough. We've had, we've had enough of this. Were they globally and, awful or were they, they were definitely awful in the States, but were they, yeah, they were pretty awful everywhere. I mean, they didn't drive very well. They, they generally had pretty poor ride quality. Um, you know, I mean, they were obviously they were small, you know, they, you know, with a tiny footprint that the first generation one was only eight feet long from bumper to bumper. Um, you know, which, you know, you've probably, you've probably seen pictures of them, you know, parked perpendicular to the curb, you know, parallel parked perpendicular to the curb, you know, in between two other cars because it's so short. Uh, you know, so, you know, it, it was, it was a tiny vehicle. It was, it, it was a very interesting vehicle from an engineering perspective. You know, they had a little one-liter three-cylinder engine mounted, you know, horizontally, you know, uh, tilted over on its side, uh, mounted under the back of the car, driving uh, the rear wheels. Uh, and, you know, it, it was surprisingly roomy inside for a car that was only eight feet long, but it just didn't drive very well. And it was a generally unpleasant experience to drive the thing, especially if you got uh, one with the automated manual transmission, which was really terrible i mean it the shifting the shift quality was just atrocious you're not selling it man it's just not making no it. <laughs> well and that and that's Please that's part right, of why though. they yeah yeah i mean that that's part of what I mean, you know when i the first time i drove a smart was a first generation one uh that you know it, it was one that uh, i think bosch had here as part of a fleet it was they had brought it over um, for media evaluations, you know, it was a part of a, part of a group of vehicles, European diesel vehicles that they had brought over, and you know, so this was a diesel smart, uh, first generation diesel smart that had uh, what maybe about sixty sixty five horsepower. And those are supposed to be the um, good ones too, were the diesels. Uh, well, yeah, they were fuel efficient, but that's about all you could say for them. <laughs> yeah, if you. If if you ever if you ever driven a VW Beetle uh, like an old air cooled Beetle, uh, I it's been a very long time since I was in an air cooled VW, but um, it it, it was gutless. yeah. In in some respects, it was a lot like that. You know, it was pretty gutless. I think zero to sixty was about nineteen seconds, um, and you know it was it was slow. It was extremely noisy. Um, you know, driving the thing on the highway was just it was terrifying. Uh, you know, it was, it was just not a good vehicle. Um, and the second one, you know, the ones that they brought to the U S market were only marginally better. You know, they, they were not nearly as noisy and they were, they were definitely quicker, but the transmissions were still awful and, you know, it, it didn't get particularly good fuel economy. You know, the gas engine version, I think it was only rated, it only got about 32, 33 miles per gallon, which, you know, for a tiny little car like this, that, you know, just didn't make it worthwhile. So anyway, Daimler, you know, has been looking at, at ditching the whole project after 20-some years. And so now it looks like Geely might step in to buy 50% of of uh, Smart and keep it going for some reason. And I'm, I'm not sure yeah, why. Yeah, I was going to say, well, what, like, what is the reason? I would say the India market. Did you see a bunch when you were over there? No, but it's... You know, at the size of its its potential, potentially the size, like it would be a good replacement for rickshaws. 
and what not you know well except except yeah, it's not that cheap. I was gonna say wait, it's only know, two it's only two seater, right? Yeah. Uh they have a four seat version now too in the current generation. Is it four seat and two doors? Uh no, or it's a four, four door. Four door. So that so that's a possibility. I mean I'm just speculating. I didn't I'm not saying anything just because I was there, but I'm just thinking of of other places. Like when you think you know the Smart has historically been incredibly popular in Rome because of the parking, because right. you can that park it, sense, yeah. you know. Uh, but, you know, the the when you think about uh, places that still need decent pr- transportation, uh, places like India, they, uh, you know, they have a need. And also think about Uber and Lyft, uh, you know, these kinds of cars might be pretty gar- good for that kind of substitute transportation. Yeah, and maybe that's their their play is you know mobility or TNCs or something could use them, um, especially since we've seen that most Uber and Lyft rides are you know one car for one person to and then the deadheads. So if you can make those smaller, that takes some of the pressure off the roads a, a little right. bit, not not a whole I lot. Mean, but you know, think about Tata's history of. I'm sorry, we're talking about Gili, aren't we? Um, yeah. Uh, but when you think about, you know, trying to look at other at, at developing markets and the ability to fulfill that need, you know, something like this smart car, while it is filled with flaws from our standpoint, uh, still is better than public transportation for some people, you know, or being yeah. able to provide that, you know, a, a smaller a small car in in that's especially if they can make them electric uh, that, you know, might be able to get around the congestion charge or be able to go into the carpooling or do different things that, uh, you know, gets people into transportation that ordinarily wouldn't have been able to get there. Yeah. And so Geely looks like they're very aggressively trying to move themselves into this position where they've got these strong global brands and, you know, smart may or may not be one of them. Uh, but you know, they just gave Lotus a big infusion of cash. They own Volvo and they've done very well with Volvo. Mm-hmm. And then they've got their own stuff too, which they mm-hmm. they also own uh London taxi. Oh, company. that's right. They do. Um, and cause I was just thinking like, why would they buy smart for some, to provide some kind of like, urban mobility or like TNC or emerging market car. Like they already have their own, their own line of cars. Like I'm looking at their site now, like they've got the GC six, which is a, a small sedan, uh, which is probably not as small as a smart, but still like they, they make it and sell it. <laughs> you know? right. I just, I think that a brand like smart, we just have to think about on a global basis. You know, we have to look at these things yeah. on a global basis and see the strategy that they could employ there. Yeah, but the you know the problem is the the brand itself has never really gained much traction really anywhere outside of Europe. Well, yeah, so, yeah, but I think if you say smart car, people know that it's that small little egg-shaped thing. For be- for better or for worse. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't I don't know that it's I, I wouldn't describe it as a damaged brand. No, but they definitely suck. <laughs> <laughs> well, but again, they, they do for us. They do, you know, well, and, yeah. and I think, 
I think maybe there was such a um, there was such a disconnect between Daimler owning them, you know, owning Smart that I don't know, it just never really made a lot of sense. Well, I, so here's where I think it, it didn't really resonate in the U.S. was that, um, and, and Sam, you know, your commentary kind of points to that as well. You you think small car. And you immediately think fuel economy. And the fuel economy of the smart here mm. wasn't really that good, but it also wasn't really the entire point. Like, yes, it's, it should be efficient, but um, maximum efficiency wasn't really the mission. It was m- it, maximum fuel efficiency. It was more maximum space efficiency. Space efficiency. Right. Yeah. Uh, so you could park them nose in and uh get two to a normal parking spot which in in Europe especially where they've got congestion charges and stuff like that now um that made a uh, it was a more compelling argument um and it it's really an urban car and i think it was an urban lifestyle car but they just that's where they sort of failed here was making it more of a premium kind of lifestyle brand it was just if you need a small cheap car for the city commute you could look at the smart, but it was, it was also dreadful, you know? And so I, I have a lot of respect for the people who, um, I occasionally see on the highway with these things. <laughs> it's like, what is the matter with you? You, so, you, you, you don't, you don't want to be stuck in the, you know, or be in the wake of a giant tractor trailer in one of those things. No, or, or, or a Ram 3500 yeah. HD. <laughs> yeah. It's got the like tiny little wheelbase and it's just, yeah, not, not a thing, but like, I think Daimler just sort of half-heartedly launched it here. They didn't really give it enough sort of credibility to be like, yes, it's the tiny Daimler or whatever, you know, it's like it's, it's supposed to be premium. And, and here's the, the point about it. I, I actually like this generation of smart that we've got right now. I think it's kind of, it's kind of cool looking and, I I love the idea, you know, the, the packaging efficiency, like you were talking about. Um, it's really fascinating to look at how it's put together. I, I, I don't know that I'd want to drive. One well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, even, well, even even the first, you know, the first generation, especially, you know, and the first and second generation, you know, they had this space frame uh, structure, you know, and then attached body panels to that, you know, and you had the tiny little engine in the back, you know, and it was basically nothing in front of the driver except a bulkhead and uh, death you know <laughs> certain death yeah. no not necessarily actually um you know if cuz you know the thing is I mean, there there's there are um crash test videos out there you know showing you know the smart being crashed you know do, doing like a um an offset uh frontal crash against uh i think a mercedes c class and you know the the way the structure was designed. You know, basically the the car would just bounce off. You know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. It's the the structure was really it's rigid. rigid because, so yeah, and I remember, and it would just go spinning off to one side, right, and that's where the energy goes. And so as long as right. it's rigid enough to to, <laughs> to not come apart as it bounces, and off it was. And, I mean, it did, it did fine in crash tests. Yeah. It, you know that it, it it wasn't a matter of you know uh, cr- you know safety. You know, in that perspective, it's just. It didn't handle very well. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it had fact, a wider track in the rear than the front, which sets you up for right. some fun. You know, uh, I don't, <laughs> you know, and I don't know if you remember, you know, when it first came out. Um, actually, you know, it came out just shortly after the original Mercedes-Benz A-Class uh, back in the late '90s, and 
um, you know, I think it was about 97 or 98, um, you know, when the A-Class first came out, uh, Swedish magazine uh, was, you know, doing running the moose test on this thing, which, you know, as they are wont to do there. Like Technikens Varld or um, Technikens Varld or or whatever. Yeah, Yeah, I can't remember which which publication it was. But they, you know, they were doing the moose test and the, uh, you know, the Mercedes uh, A-Class, you know, which was, had a lot of uh, similarities in its structure to the, uh, to the smart, uh, actually rolled over doing that test. And, um, you know, Mercedes responded by going back and, you know, rushing into production uh, the first one of the first stability control systems to put it on there. And, uh, you know, the the smart was just about to launch at that time. And they actually delayed the launch of the smart so they could go back and make some changes. And they added uh, stability control, standard equipment on the smart and also widened the rear track to try to improve the stability. And you know it didn't do much for the the handling of the car, but it did make it more stable. That sounds an awful lot like the seven thirty seven Max thing. <laughs> like, oh yeah. no! No, 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 no the, the problem with that is like, we've got this existing architecture, and the uh, you know we can we can move some things around, but really, like um, we need software to save us because you know the changes we've made have changed right. the and, right. and, and some yeah i mean in some respects it's it's you know that's not yeah you know, it's it's a fairly valid comparison uh I, I i don't mean the tragic crashes that's but what we're seeing is is the the system that is apparently reliant on a single sensor um is designed to to sort of just compensate and it, it's the same idea as the b2 you know um the B2, you couldn't really fly all that well if you had to fly it manually. The computers make that thing fly. Um, right. So I guess that's that's valid. I just I, – again, we're off track. <laughs> well, yeah. so so um, Geely and Daimler have been doing a lot of of uh, investigating into, into doing more um, uh, working closer together. And so one of the things that they've done is this ride hailing service out of China. Now they're focusing on luxury vehicles right now, but there certainly is opportunity for to expand even the car to go or car to share that Daimler has. And they populate that with the smart cars. So if Geely wants to take that over and implement that on an even broader scale in China, that would be the logical place for the smart car. Do you th- so do you think there's enough demand for it there that they they would roll out their own? I guess that's what they all want to do, right? They all want to own the fleets. So they're reporting um, that there's 470 thousand customers in China uh, who have participated in what they call station based car sharing services. So those are car sharing services like Zipcar, right. where you know the car is parked at some location. You go pick it up. You drive it around, and when you're done, you drop it back off at the same location where you started from. Right, that's car to you go know, so, and car to share. Right, so there, you got two different. There's two different varieties of car sharing. There's station based and free floating, which is you know more like you know the the scooter model where you pick it up, uh, you know wherever it is, <laughs> drive it, it to where, where you're going. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, you, right? hopefully oh you don't gosh. throw it in the river. But you just you park you park it you know wherever wherever at your destination, and you leave it for somebody else to take and and drive it from there um so those are the two models of car sharing and station based is what car to go has been doing so far 
Um, car to go, uh, Daimler and BMW actually just recently closed a deal to essentially merge um, their mobility services. So car to go and BMW's reach now, drive now system are now, they've both been combined into a joint venture that's owned by um, Daimler and BMW. So I'm not quite sure how Geely would necessarily fit into that one. I don't know. I mean, it was announced. Maybe, it was maybe, announced maybe March they come 1st. in and take the. Yeah, I mean, maybe they come in and take a partial stake in that project as well. Yeah, Geely's well, it, making all these moves to just sort of scoop up struggling uh, Western automakers, and so they've got this interesting portfolio of brands, and, and adding smart to yeah. it is. It's curious. Well, there's also the local opportunity as well for Geely in China. I mean, BMW and Daimler obviously are not domestic brands. And so maybe there is an opportunity for to slap a domestic label on there as well. You know, if Geely takes controlling interest in smart. Yeah. And Geely's got a bunch of domestic brands that, you know, that they sell under, you know, including uh, Geely, um, and uh, I'm trying to remember some of the others, they they have a they have a whole bunch. They have I think four or five different brands that they sell in China now. Really? Yeah. But again, I think this is something that we've got to look at globally to make any kind of sense of it. <laughs> oh, the 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 other one that that Geely uh, has is Lincoln Co., which is their newest brand that they just recently launched, uh, which is sharing its platform with the uh, the Volvo XC40. Right. Mm. And this is one, you know, that they launched and they're doing, you know, as a subscription only uh, model. I, I wonder, you know, when, when I'm on their website now as well, they have an X7. How does that happen? <laughs> it's I mean, China. They must they must have they must have trademarked it before BMW brought the X7 out. Right. They've got an X7 and X7 Sport. Yep. Yeah. It's it's China. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, you know that's, that's a, it's that such is. a fascinating uh, pocket of the industry uh, yeah oh that's right and they own Terrafugia too maybe they're going to make flying smarts Ooh, there you go now we're <laughs> yeah. talking well it's rigid right we I mean, just got done saying it's rigid so if you crash it it's just... yeah I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna do something crazy let's let's get real yeah. about it absolutely I, Put some wings on it that bend. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're never going to see the. What could possibly go uh, wrong? Uh, well, you know, it. and and uh, to move on to the next story, which which kind of fits in with this idea, is um, if they ever have a flying smart, uh, it will probably have the mandated driver assistance technology <laughs> that Europe is pretty much on the cusp of of uh, implementing at this point. Yeah, um, the uh, the European Commission uh, is on the verge of, uh, or I guess they they have passed or are about to pass uh, a bill that would mandate a whole bunch of driver assistance features into new cars starting in 2022 uh, in in the European market, and you know a lot of it is you know the stuff that is quickly becoming standard anyway, things like automatic emergency braking, lane departure. Excuse me, lane departure warning, um, backup cameras. I mean, those have been mandatory here in the U.S. for several years now. Um, but you know, adding in things like uh, driver drowsiness and attention monitoring systems, which um, Volvo just announced last week that 
you know, that they're going to make standard in their cars starting in 2020 anyway. Um, but they're also adding some other interesting features, like they want to have uh, mandate car makers to design steering columns to accommodate a standardized interface to fit alcohol interlocks. Uh, you know, so you can basically build in a breathalyzer into the car and prevent it from moving uh, if you if you uh, blow positive on that. Um, also, having uh, an emergency stop signal. Um, that uh, is already used in some markets. Uh, so when you hit the brakes really hard, it'll flash the brake lights and hazard lights. Um, you know, when it detects an emergency stop, um, you know, uh, an accident data recorder, uh, like a black box. And you know, here in the U.S., you know, most new cars already have, uh, you know, what we call an event data recorder, which um, captures some data, a few seconds worth of data. You know, in the event of a crash, uh, you know, if the airbag goes off, it captures a bunch of data. Kept, I think kept, they typically capture about five or ten seconds worth of data um, when an airbag goes off. Um, but I think this would be this would actually can, uh, capture more data uh, to help with accident reconstruction and, and evaluation. And then uh, one of the most controversial items is something they call intelligent speed assistance (ISA) that would use uh, GPS and speed limit sign recognition to notify the driver of the local uh, legal limit. Um, and it could also be tied into the engine control to limit the vehicle speed to the See, speed limit. that's the one. Everything else was fine, but that one, I don't, I don't like that one. I'm not going with that one either. <laughs> yeah. it, do, it does say that uh, the plan is that the driver will be able to override ISA, but... Yeah, it's still dubious. For now. So now what's what's interesting though is you know when we think about all of the talk about autonomous driving and self-driving cars is that's the speed limit is one of the things that that we is discussed about the fact that how do you teach a self-driving car to exceed the speed limit? It's binary. It's like yes or no. So in some ways these are technologies that would be in place on as cars become more autonomous. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and this is a conversation I've had with many of the people working on uh, automated driving systems, you know, is, uh, you know, how, do, you know, how do you deal with laws like speed limits uh, or even, you know, the crossing uh, solid lines, you know, solid lane markers, uh, you know, I mean, cause there are times, you know, if there's something obstructing the road where you have to cross over a solid yellow line, you know, sure. dividing the, the middle of the road, you know, to, to safely go around it. Um, you know, and same thing goes with speed limits. You know, uh, I've had this conversation with uh, Brian Seleski, uh, the CEO of Argo. Uh, yes. And, you know, we were talking about this, you know, if, if you, you know, if, if these vehicles, you know, have to um, coexist with human driven vehicles for, many years, which they will, you know, how, you know, how do we have, what's the safest way to do that? You know, uh, if, if the flow of traffic, you know, if the speed limit on a particular road is 55 miles an hour, but everybody's driving 65 or 70 miles an hour, if you've got an autonomous vehicle in the middle of this crowd, that's going along at 55, it's actually more of a hazard to the rest of the ve- the rest of the traffic flow, uh, than all of the vehicles that are going roughly the same speed. You know the the you know from traffic studies, it's been shown that 
you know, it's not so much the absolute speed that is the real danger, but it's fluctuations in speed that are more likely to cause accidents. Sure. And especially if you have a lot of variability in speed. If everybody on the road is going at the same speed, regardless of what the speed is, it's safer than if you have a broad spread, you know, from the fastest to the slowest cars. And, you know, if you have a few very slow cars operating in the middle of this higher speed flow, then that's also very unsafe. So in that scenario, do you allow an autonomous vehicle to go with the flow of traffic or do you force it to stick to the speed limit? So, yeah, that's, that's a question that nobody's quite sure what the answer to is right now. I mean, they, they know what probably the desirable one is, but from a, a legal standpoint, what do they do? Yeah. And, and as much as I, I feel like this is a, a personal liberty issue, uh, but it's kind of not, uh, it, it seems like something that an insurer might be really happy to seek it mandated as standard equipment um, because it it makes it a little bit easier to place blame, <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess. So if there is an incident, you know, they can say it wasn't our insured, it was your insured, uh, or, you know, there's there's data there. And also the, the vehicle itself won't allow um, the, the, the human uh, to do things that, uh, are, are going to, to be outside of the sort of accepted realm of, of, uh, of normal behavior, right? It's, it's protecting people from themselves, mostly so that insurance doesn't have to pay out. But so would <laughs> our insurance, would our insurance premiums go down then? No. <laughs> uh, more, more, more likely that people that have older cars that don't have this technology in it, their insurance premiums will go up. Right. But, I mean, it was kind of a rhetorical question yeah, I'd, anyway. I'd pay it yeah. out. That's fine. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's like, um, you know, increasingly today you have usage-based insurance, you know, where insurance companies will give you a little dongle that you plug into the OBD2 port, uh, you know, to monitor your, your driving behavior. And if you agree to use one of those and share the information, they'll give you a discount on your premiums. Right. You know, a few years from now, it's, it's going to be the reverse. It's, you know, if if you don't get one of those, then they'll raise your mm. rates. Uh, it's fine. I'll pay more. <laughs> you know, and it's not even because I, I, I want to drive recklessly. It's more just I just don't like the intrusion. And the again, the, just the vast reams of data that have been proven to be pretty insecure. Mm. Um. You know, because the driving data is going to be tied to you. It's going to be individualized because otherwise, how are they going to set a rate? Well, you know, and again, you know, that's one of the issues with the current systems that are out there is that they don't know – they don't actually know who's driving. I mean, it's but it's, yeah. it's tied to so, the owner, I guess. It's, it's tied to a subscriber, yeah. you know, you, you the policy right. holder. But, you you know, there may be multiple peop- multiple users of that vehicle – and they don't necessarily know who's in there and, and who ah, to tie when, that information to. When you have driver to. monitoring with a camera, they can look well, at the driver it, it, and just store yes. it in the EDR, and, open and shut. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's well, terrifying. Or the, biometrics, or the biometrics of starting the car with your with your thumbprint. Yeah. That's that's another way. None of that. I don't even like the idea where you can unlock <laughs> the car with your phone. Uh, like, No. I'm 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 sticking with my 29 year old. Yeah, know. and it's it's again it's it's not because I don't like progress. It just seems like 
some of this stuff is is uh, you know, like the unlock the car with the phone thing. Like that's just okay because you can, and it it is like you have the device on you at all times. That's great, but then like what happens when you lose it or the battery's dead or whatever? You know, you're still gonna have to have the backup way to get into the car because those things are gonna happen. Um, that's that's why you have the thumbprint or the fingerprint uh, one. Yeah, and I, that's that's okay, I suppose. Um, I'm not sure how that would do in cold weather. It, it, you know, they'll, they'll solve all those problems with it. Uh, this one, though, was just the 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 driver data and the driver monitoring and the sort of the heavy restrictions around it. It seems to me you're going to run into the law of unintended consequences, where like you actually do need to break the speed limit to avoid a situation at some point, and you're not going to mm. be able to. And so, again, like Sam was saying, like what's the what's the buffer you allow in there? Um, the wiggle room and who knows at this point, they'll figure it out. Yeah. Keep my old car. <laughs> <laughs> keep, keep that crown uh, handy. Yeah. It's, yes. <laughs> this is never, never thought right. I'd want to. Anyway, uh, we got, we had some questions. You want, you want to hit a couple of Twitter yeah. questions? All right. So, uh, first one from, uh, the car guy for all on, uh, on Twitter Yes. Uh, first of all, he says, uh, will, will we please stop dancing around our feelings on Tesla? Uh, we, we, will, we will try to, uh, to not couch our, our, our thoughts on Tesla and, and, and be more frank Take a stronger and, stand, and yeah. open about how, how we feel yeah. about them. Uh, and then also, you know, um, can a good drivetrain overcome a vanilla car anymore? Or does the drivetrain not matter as much in the current marketplace? This is indirectly in reference to the CT5. Um, what do you, what I would like think? to introduce you to the um, the Dodge Challenger Hellcat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or the Cadillac CTSV or ATSV. Uh, uh, yeah, I, it can depending on the the car and the um, the, the individual. Yeah, agreed. Any thoughts, Rebecca? No, I think it's I I I agree with you guys. I think that the you know, it's still absolutely critical. So I think that there's still, uh, obviously you don't want to have a, a very vanilla car, but, you know, I think that it, the drivetrain still is very, very important in the current marketplace. Yeah, I mean, once once we get to EVs, you know, then there's going to be a lot lot less differentiation there. Uh, but, you know, as long as, as long as we still have internal combustion engines, you know, they, they do add a certain degree of character, you know, regardless of how, boring the rest of the car might be if you have a, a great powertrain in there it, it can add a lot of character well, to i mean the, and the prime example that not to go off in too far of a tangent but the pr- prime example of that is something like the porsche boxster that for years was not terribly powerful but it had a very uh distinctive flat six that not everybody else had and so it was it was certainly a an experience and it, it had a sound and a power delivery, and it its performance usually belied its numbers. It actually it put up better performance than you'd expect. Um, and it's changed now because they've got the Turbo Fours, which are another kind of thing. But you know, certainly uh, those cars on paper aren't as impressive as they are on pavement. Yeah. All right. Next one's from David Harbin. Uh, it says, uh, can I complain about inappropriate exhaust systems? Cars <laughs> with inline fours should not have f- fake dual exhaust. Only cars with more than one bank of cylinders. 
I know, old man yelling at the cloud in the age of Tesla, but I reserve my right to rant. P.S. I also get annoyed when people say their BMW has a V6. So I, I, I'm going to push back a little bit on this only because I think that, you know, we've downsized in the day and age of fuel economy standards, but some of them are, some of these four cylinders are really good. I mean, I never would have, or in line fours, I never would have expected to like something like this, but, but some of them are really good. And so, you know, I think that they, I think it's okay to have the dual exhaust. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I think dual exhaust in and of itself, I don't have an issue with. And, you know, I think it's, you know, perfectly reasonable to have a dual exhaust with a four cylinder engine. And in fact, you know, the, you know, the, the idea that the, the number of exhausts should, you know, match the number of banks or anything like that, you know, I think, you know, is kind of a, an arbitrary thing. You know, prime example is the, uh, the Honda Civic Type R, mm-hmm. you know, which actually is a four cylinder turbo. It has three exhaust outlets, you know, two, two on, on either side and a big, well, and a big one in the middle. Well, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a multi-mode okay. exhaust Well, that system. makes sense. You know, yeah. Uh, you know, so there's stuff coming out at different times, depending on what, you know, what the load is on the engine and everything, you know, there's, uh, exhaust going to be coming out of different tips. Um, but, you know, I would definitely agree that, you know, there are cases where, um, you know, we're, you certainly have fake exhaust tips on there that are not connected to anything yes. that, that are just there. I mean, you know, you'll have cars that, you know, will have, you know, what looks like a quad exhaust. And then when you get under and look, you'll see that, you know, it may, it may even be a dual, but you know, the two outer ones, you know, or two inner, you know, two, two of them, you know, two, one of the tips on either side is just a dummy and it doesn't actually do anything at all. Uh, and I, I remember one of the first ones I saw, remember seeing like that, uh, in early nineties on the Pontiac Grand Am, they did that. They had four exhaust tips, you know, and two of them were completely dummies. Well, but so, like, okay. So most of the time when they're there like that, it's for design symmetry. So do you, would you complain if it had an asymmetric exhaust where it's just a single outlet on one side and so, you know, it looks less balanced. So, and that's worse. I I mean, I don't, I honestly, not, I think from a design aesthetic, I'd like to have the, I like to have it symmetrical. Yeah, I think the symmetry is probably more pleasing to more people. And uh, yeah, but 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 this this goes beyond symmetry. Okay, so I mean, this was a dual exhaust system, but you know, they, so they had outlets on both sides of the car, but they had two outlets on each side, and one of the two on either side was a dummy. So you had one functional one and one dummy. Yeah, on either it's side. only going to get more obvious as you put some miles on the car too. One's going to get dirty, and the other's going to stay perfectly clean. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or it's going to rust and, you know, going to be hanging off, you know, halfway off, things like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, I get it. I do think that the, um, the restriction to duels, though, like you can certainly have an inline engine with, with dual exhaust. You, you know, that's one of the actual the ways you get performance out of the Slant 6, for example, is you keep them, you, you pick three, and you separate those three as far back as you can, and it, it makes that engine actually make a lot more power. It makes it breathe a lot better. Uh, so there are reasons to put a – it doesn't have to be like a, a V or a, in, uh, a horizontally opposed engine. So you've got two banks of cylinders and that's the only reason for duels. Like, it's, it's a common reason, but it's not the only reason. 
So, and you know, in in some cases, you know, it's a matter of trying to achieve a certain kind of sound, you know, and and even even if you're not doing you know synthetic sound, you know, as uh, BMW has become fond of doing in recent mm-hmm. years, uh, um, you know, even for you know a natural sound, you know, it's still it's still something that gets tuned. You know, there there are engineers at automakers that spend a lot of time. You know, working on the exhaust system to to tune it to provide a, a particular kind of note, depending on you know the type of car it is and the type of engine it is, um, you know, and you know even even from a, a four cylinder engine with a single turbo, you know where there's nominally one, uh, you know one exhaust pipe coming out of that turbocharger, you know, and then feeding into a dual exhaust system, you know they that might be done to achieve a certain type of sound. Yeah, that's true. Because the whole system is one big Helmholtz resonator, you know, and yeah. uh, you can you can have chambers on it too. That's the muffler itself is a, a chamber, and uh, you you are you're, you're basically tuning the frequency at which it resonates. And then as you change the the speed of the engine, you're changing the frequency and everything. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good time. There's a lot of science that goes into it. Um, and the, the you're tuning it with the exhaust system. You're tuning the way it sounds on the outside of the car. Where the artificial sound that BMW and Ford do on the uh, like over the speakers, that's on the inside, and I, I guess that is so that you can actually make the car meet noise regulations a lot more easily and less expensive, and still give you some of that thrill. I I don't know. Yeah, well, it, you know, it varies. You know, in some cases, you know, a lot of times, you know, they'll use active noise cancellation, especially with four-cylinder engines, to cancel out some of the. The low, the yeah. boomy sounds at low frequent, low low RPMs, um, to get rid of some some of those because th- those sounds are genuinely genuinely unpleasant, and you know if you can get rid of those, then you know with electronics, that's I don't have a complaint about yeah. that. I just don't like the fake, the fake engine sounds. If I wanted a video yeah. game, I'd stay home. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. All right, and. And that's it. We, you know, and Jared Henshaw just wanted us to talk about Geely and, and Smart, which we already did. Uh, if you missed it, Jared, just rewind about half an hour. Uh, it's all there. <laughs> all right. Well, and so I think in terms of being all there, too, episode one three is all there. Um, so let's let's wrap it up, and we'll see everybody next week. All right. Sounds great. Bye. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.